This is Michael Easley in Context. Here's a peek at what Michael will be talking about today. And I thought, but he didn't provide the ram for me. And there was this human sense of like, he didn't keep his promise. And the more I read it and read it and read it, I noticed that on the way up, what God promised was a lamb. And and he did provide that. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. You've just heard a little from Angie Smith. Welcome to Michael Easley in Context. Today on the broadcast, Angie's in studio with us, and her story is one that many women, many couples will relate to. She has a blog called Bring the Rain. She is also the author of five books, I Will Carry You, What Women Fear, Mended, and Audrey Bunny, and just released in January 2014, Chasing God. She's a popular speaker with Women of Faith. She also speaks at women's conferences around the United States. But initially, it was her blog, Bring the Rain, that gathered the attention of readers following her journey of pregnancy and loss and how she and her husband and her girls went through this process. Today in studio, I'm delighted to have Angie Smith. Angie, thanks for taking some time and stopping by. Thanks for having me. It is so great to have you. Tell us a little bit about your story, your history, how you guys met. Bring us up to date a little bit before we kind of go back in history and some of the stories of your blog. So give us a little intro who you are. I'm Angie. Hi. I am married. I've been married for 13 years and my husband is Todd Smith. Some of the listeners might know him as um, the lead singer of the Christian group Sela. Right. He's pretty gifted, pretty handsome, too. Um, <laughs> and we have four beautiful daughters, and we live here in Tennessee. The ages of your girls? Well, that's going to give away my age a little oh, well, bit. Well, um, <laughs> okay. You can mumble. You can mumble. I was very young. Um, <laughs> I have identical twins who are 11 okay. uh, girls, and then an 8-year-old and a three-year-old. You're also the author of four books, I Will Carry You, What Women Fear, Mended, and Audrey Bunny. And you've got one that's uh, out now, a new one? Just came out, yeah. Chasing God. Mm-hmm. All right, so you didn't start out to be a writer. No, I didn't. I, I always wanted to be, though. I really? think, okay. Yeah, like I would say, growing up, that was the thing that I was the most drawn to, but it wasn't really a practical option. Right, right. And so I did what everyone does in that situation. I studied psychology in school. <laughs> that are communications. Okay. Um, graduated with a master's degree, but always just had a passion for writing. Mm-hmm. But no, I never thought it would be something I would do for a living. Did you Did you enjoy writing in high school and college? I did. Okay. I did. And it was always just an outlet for me. It was a way for me to process whatever I was going through. And so I always did it and enjoyed it, but it was more for me than it was mm-hmm. for sharing. Let's jump way ahead in years. And you began a blog. I'm looking at one post that was a January 12, 2008 blog that that essentially blew up, and it's the beginning of the story, you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, we can direct our listeners to it a little later, but why don't you give us the, the background of, of what happened for you guys and why you started processing it this way? Hmm. Well, uh, we were expecting what was going to be our fourth daughter at the time, and went in for a, just a normal ultrasound, didn't expect anything Extraordinary, other than that, we might find out we were finally having a boy because this is the gender ultrasound. Okay, okay. Um, and we didn't, it was a girl. But during the ultrasound, right as it started, I just could tell from the technician's face that something was really wrong. It was so serious that just the expression on her face, I didn't even ask, What's wrong? or Can you tell me what's happening? Mm. The first thing I said was, Is the baby gonna live? Um, and she said, I don't think so. Mm. 
I'm going to go get the doctor. And I'm going to stop you. That's kind of unusual in yeah. today's um, yeah. HIPAA and uh, you mm-hmm. know, over over protection of information that a tech would actually say that. I, it surprised me, too. Uh-huh. But I, I, I'm a good manipulator in okay. those situations. Right. <laughs> I was terrified. I, I mean, I was just in tears. And um, I think based on the way that she was looking at things, it was so severe that I almost think Maybe she thought I could tell from the ultrasound, mm. but I just wasn't well-educated enough to be able to discern what she was seeing. But yeah, it was pretty clear to her right away. Okay. So you've had friends undoubtedly in the past that have lost children. Mm-hmm. You've had friends that have gone through uh, children with disabilities, adopted a child with sure. complications. Um, that's all, you know, breaks our heart. We think about it, but now it's you. Yeah. And I had had a miscarriage early on in our marriage and it was incredibly difficult. This was just a different place for me because... You know, you go into that appointment, everything's always been normal in the Mm. past, and you're expecting it to be normal this time. I was in complete shock. Mm. So what happens next? Doctor comes in? Yeah, he comes in. And I actually don't remember it super well, but people have, you know, I think I was just sort of in a fog. I remember when he came in and he said, do you kind of have a sense of what's going on? And for whatever reason, I think it was just, I always feel like when I tell this story, it sounds almost like I always have these super spiritual moments in crisis. I wish that were the mm. case. But I really think I just needed to feel how steady the foundation was and something in me was so rattled that when he came in, I just looked at him and I said, I just know that my Jesus is exactly the same as he was before I walked in wow. the door. That wasn't language that made sense to him. And so mm-hmm. he kind of gave me the knee pat, like, OK, whatever's going to keep you <laughs> good calm. You, honey. Yeah, good. Just cling to that. Um, and I did. And so he sat down and went over the ultrasound and to make a long story short, suggested that we terminate the pregnancy mm-hmm. the next day. Mm-hmm. So Todd's out in the waiting room? He's with me. Oh, he's in he's the room. with me. Okay. And so is my mother-in-law, who was wow. supposed to fly home okay. that day and just had the sense that the Lord was telling her to stay. And so she did, and she came to the ultrasound with mm-hmm. us. Okay, so you, you've got this news. It's a bombshell. You've got a little bit of confidence somewhere in there that it's okay, mm-hmm. but you're still terrified and scared. And what's next? Well, he sort of went through all of the different issues that he was seeing, and there were a number of physical problems. The biggest was that her kidneys hadn't developed the way that they were supposed to. And so as a result, there wasn't any amniotic fluid, which is what develops the lungs. And so it was sort of this domino effect. And he, he went through other things as he talked. But at the end, it's, of the, a, it's a wall of information. It was. I mean, after the first couple, I just mm-hmm. it was just too much mm-hmm. to process. Um, and each of those things made her what they called incompatible with life. That Mm -hmm. term just kept coming up. And so it was sort of like he even got to the end of his list. Like, I can keep going on, but this is what we need to do. She's not going to survive. No. And so there's no point in you continuing Mm -hmm. the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, And he wasn't a cruel man. We we obviously have different worldviews at that point. And he's doing what he thinks is the most effective, proper decision at that point. And so we just sort of sat there stunned. And they brought us into another room and let us talk things through and, you know, explain things that I didn't understand. You know, you can terminate the pregnancy here tomorrow. Or if you're really struggling and you want to wait a few weeks, you can drive a couple hours and they'll still allow you to terminate at this time. You know, they're giving us all of these options. It's surreal. Totally surreal. That's the word. Yeah. So you and Todd pray about it. You call somebody, you ask for counsel. What do you do? All of those things. But at first, and I always, I always want to say this when I when I tell my story, because I think when you're objectively listening to someone and you have your own life experience, things tend to sound very black and white from other people. Obviously, in pro-life, that's where I stand on the issue. But I need to tell you that in that moment, when they were saying, 
your daughter will be in pain if you carry her. You know, there are moments in your mind where you're thinking, Lord, what is the most humane thing for me to do? How am I best parenting my child? Mm -hmm. Is it selfish of me? I think this is what your word tells me to do. I think this is what you tell me to do. But when you're in that moment and you have the wisdom of a medical team advising you and the heart of a mother and you're crying out, Mm -hmm. there are moments where you just want to make sure you're doing the right thing. And so we struggled. We wrestled with that. The next morning we had a second opinion and that doctor confirmed that the baby would not be in pain and that there was nothing detrimental that would happen by carrying her. That was what I just, I wanted to hear someone say that, you know. By the way, let me interrupt for a second, Um, you know, because I tell people you have to become your own advocate. No no longer can the doctor or the nurse tell us everything and you've got to be your, and you, you are becoming your own advocate. I got to learn the whole story here. Yeah. And you might visit two or three or four physicians and you might get four completely different opinions, but at some point. Angie and Todd have got to make a decision. That's right. And so that next morning we did. Mm -hmm. And we said, we're going to carry her. We don't know how long we'll have her, but she's ours until the Lord takes her. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a a long story. I wrote about it in the book, I Will Carry You. But we found this bunny that had a a mark on its heart at a store. And her heart was one of the other issues that they found. And so we went back to the store and we bought the bunny. And, you know, the woman at the counter is like trying to rub off the mark. And I'm bawling my eyes out. And saying it's not going to come off. And she's like, well, let me give you a discount. And I said, no, we want to pay full price. This is this is ours. And so we took her home and we set her on a little chair and put Band-Aids over her heart. And, the, and we gathered our other girls around. How old are the other girls at this point? They're around six and three-ish. So, so the six years old are processing this pretty concretely. Right. Mommy has a baby in her tummy. Yeah. And the baby's not well. Right. Three-year-old's probably not. Engaged so much. She likes the idea of the stuffed animal. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sure. (laughs) And so we put the little band-aids on the bunny's heart and we just said, this is what the doctors have told us. We trust the Lord more than anyone here, Mm -hmm. but this is what we think we need to be prepared for. And so we're just going to enjoy her while we have her. You can't see her, but she's in my tummy. She's your sister. What do you want to do with her mm-hmm. while we have her? And my daughter Ellie said, I want to show her Cinderella's castle. Mm-hmm. And so we we actually planned a trip and went to Disney World. And we have pictures of her talking to my stomach and pointing to the castle. Wow. And I gave them little cameras with disposable film. And so we have pictures of my stomach, you know, and it says Audrey at the park, Audrey at the ballet, Audrey. So she was, a, I mean, she was a part of our lives. I, I wanted them to feel like she was their sister. Fast forward a little bit. Um, you decide to carry her mm-hmm. and uh, tell us about delivery. She was born on April 7th, 2008. And she was beautiful. Mm. She looked a lot like her sisters. She had bright red hair. I think Probably my favorite moment of the day, um, other than the fact that she was even born alive. That was such mm-hmm. a gift. Um, my doctor had allowed me to have a C-section. To, to fi- I'd never had one before, but okay. he, he was a believer. This is a different doctor. And um, so he let me have a C-section because we thought that was her best chance at survival. And when she was born, I said, is she breathing? And my husband said, yeah, she's breathing. She's beautiful. Um, and they had told us beforehand, there's no way with her condition that she could weigh over two pounds. She's just she's this little teeny tiny thing. And so we had taken her back into the room and Todd was there and his parents and, you know, some of our family. And they set her on the scale and it just said three pounds, two ounces. And the whole room just started clapping. <laughs> and it was like, she's got weight, you know, I mean, and, and it was another another moment like you just described where they had given us what they thought was their expert opinion. But I felt like in that moment, the Lord said, you don't know how much this child weighs. Mm-hmm. I know because I'm knitting her. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that moment, it was just the sort of redemptive, powerful moment. And we got to keep her for about two and a half hours. Wow. Wow. 
We've got a large audience listening around um, our country, and there are 15 opinions about what mm-hmm. you just said. Yeah. And we have uh, pro-life, pro-choice, sure. all points in between. When you're holding Audrey and you're knowing she's not going to survive long, mm-hmm. uh, there would be those that would say, well, Angie, why didn't you just terminate early and not go through the prolonged agony and the pain? And and um, that's your choice. Yeah. You, could, you had doctors who were encouraging that. Mm-hmm. I've been asked that question before, and I've sure had plenty of people disagree with me. But where I always land is just if you had been sitting with me that day, if you would have just been eye to eye and you would have seen what we saw and the life that we got to celebrate for those few hours and the joy that she brought us, the way that she has fundamentally changed every single person who got to meet her and so many more. I don't know any other way but to fight for the time that God gave us. That's my that's where my heart lands. And so Let me say, though, it wasn't easy. There were plenty of times where I knew I had made the hard choice, but it was the right hard choice Mm -hmm. for me. Um, And I'm so grateful that we did. I use a line, imperceptible influence, that we don't often, maybe rarely know how God is going to use something. I mean, you and Todd see it in the music realm. Mm -hmm. When I teach, you know, you might say something incidental. Yeah. And someone comes up and says, you said such and such. And I have no recognition of ever yeah. saying that thing, but somehow God uses it. So there's an imperceptible influence for all mm-hmm. of us that God's working beyond and in spite of us sometimes. Yeah. So you've gotten glimpses of that probably since. I have. Okay. I feel like I've been spoiled with them yeah. a little bit. So to sh- be honest. share some of those with us. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you think about even the way that the Lord came to us. There's just something so unintimidating about a baby. And You know, there were moments where I would be in a grocery store, big and pregnant, and people would just say things like they do in conversation. You know, what are you having? When are you due? (laughs) You're having another one, you know, because I had all my little ones running around with me. It would always be something where I would just say, Lord, speak. Like, is this this an opportunity that you've given me? And sometimes it was and sometimes it wasn't. Mm -hmm. But I would just sort of sense if if there was a nudging from the Holy Spirit to have a deeper conversation. And you know, a lot of times it was just mom to mom. It wasn't standing on a pedestal and bashing her over the head with a Bible. It was me saying, this is what matters in my life. And this is why I'm doing that. And I think they could see this joy that didn't make sense. And so, yeah, that I love the way you phrase that because I feel like I don't know how the Lord used those moments. Um, I can't even express to you how much I'm overwhelmed by the thought of being in eternity and having the opportunity to see faces there who said, Audrey was the reason that I heard the name of Jesus. Um, That's powerful. Very powerful. I was very young and uh, serving in a local church, and there was a a child and a cephalic Mm. baby. And the pro-life community was telling this couple to carry the baby to term. And Mm. the doctors were saying, no, you need to terminate. And so they pull in the pastor. Like mm-hmm. I've got some you know, hotline to God on this. But I'll never forget talking to a friend of mine, Dr. Joel McElhaney, who is a wonderful physician, retired in Texas now. And listening to him talk to this young couple about it being pro-life is a wonderful thing. But when we know death is certain mm-hmm. and, and just gently walking them through the decisions they need to make. But it, it, it struck me there's no way to do the right thing mm-hmm. and appease even those within the yeah. Christian community. Yeah. So you've got to dig deep. You and Todd have got to go to a place where, okay, Lord, we trust you mm-hmm. with our decision. And even sometimes parents saying crazy things. Oh, yeah. And um, and yet you don't know. That particular child and a few others that I was uh, 
I don't want to say privilege, but it is to you. You put a child in a ground in a mm-hmm. small box, and it's the most depressing thing in the world yeah. to watch two adult parents put their little child into the yeah. ground. And it's also kind of a holy, strange, mm-hmm. bizarre experience. You almost feel like a voyeur, yeah. In in those moments, it's so intimate. But at the same time, many people came to Christ mm-hmm. through each of those stories, mm-hmm. and and as a you know, hack theologian sort of you know, intellectual approach to life. There's no category for that. Yeah. And yeah. you step back and say, okay, Lord, you know, I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, death is part of life, but it's backwards. Yeah. We're supposed to die. I think that's part of it as, you know, being a parent and going yeah. through that, you think that's one of the things we were never supposed to do, you know, but the only thing worse than that is going through that and really not believing that you're going to see that child again. Yeah. That's that's the part that, you know. And, and I suspect a lot of anger yeah. comes from the community that would say, you know, pro-choice and do what I want. And you can't tell me. And mm-hmm. because if for one moment you thought that this was a child, for one moment if you thought that there was an eternal yeah. relationship here, it would it would dismantle you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I think, and, and I know it's politically incorrect to say, but the maternal part of a woman mm. that wants to, as my wife said to me, give me children else I die mm. after our first biological and, and no more. Um, there's something in her that she had to have children. Mm. Now, again, that's not blanket universal, sure. but for women that want kids. Yeah. I think, too, when you when you get to a season like this in your life where you have to face some things about God that maybe you haven't before. And and whether that's infertility or miscarriages or loss of a child, there comes a time in that longing um, for women who haven't been able to Mm -hmm. have it happen the way that they want it to. And what an opportunity there to, I don't know, just to really have a sense of longing for God more than anything else that we have here. We're talking to Angie Smith, uh, author of I Will Carry You Up. Women Fear, Mended, Audrey Bunny, and her new released book, Chasing God. Now, Angie, when people have a traumatic event in their life, a fire, a death, whatever, it's everything pre and post. Yeah. Before the fire. Uh, It's post now. Mm -hmm. When you mark life and time and you look back on this now, what are some ways you've changed? I wouldn't say that I'm unrecognizable from who I was, but so much of me has changed. Probably the most primary way that I've seen a difference is in my relationship with the Lord, because that I, I became a believer as an adult. Okay. And so I, I wasn't raised in the church. And this was really the first major crisis that I had walked through as a Christian. And so, you know, you're, you're testing new ground with the Lord. Right. Like, how do we get through this? How do I, are, are you enough for me in this moment where I'm in a hospital bed and I've just handed my deceased daughter to a nurse? And now the room is empty. Are, are you enough for me right now? And so what has shifted in me is I know that he is. And God forbid I should ever walk through a season like that again. I, I know that he'll be there. And there's a sweetness to that. As bitter as everything was, there's a sweetness to having that relationship with him. F.B. Meyer was talking about Abraham and having to offer Isaac as a mm-hmm. sacrifice in his commentary. And I won't quote it precisely, but... Essentially, he said, uh, when God told Abraham to offer his son, your only son, Isaac, Mm -hmm. it was not God's test to see if Abram would fail. Mm -hmm. It was God's vote of confidence that I have brought you this far Mm -hmm. and I know you have faith in me enough to follow me no matter how Mm -hmm. incredible it may seem. And it was a vote of confidence in him. Mm -hmm. And um, 
is it fair to say for you and Todd? Yeah, I think it is. That story was really special to me, actually, during my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. There was one morning when Ellie came down and I had told them the story the night before. And she was, you know, five or six at the time. And she said, Mommy, you know that story where God stopped Abraham and his son didn't have to die? And I said, yes. And she said, I don't think he's going to say that to us. Wow. And so even after I lost her, I felt like there came a time when I had to walk down the mountain without my child. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you think about Abraham, of course, you know, you get to the bottom and and he named the place. This is where God provided. And I thought, what do I name the place? Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like he provided, not not the way that I was hoping he would. And I went back and studied it. And, and probably the most profound moment I've ever had with the Lord in scripture was reading them coming down and seeing a ram and, and loosening the ram. And that was, you know, what they used as the offering. And, and I thought, but he didn't provide the ram for me. That, and there was this human sense of like, he didn't keep his promise. Mm-hmm. And the more I read it and read it and read it, I noticed that on the way up, what God promised was a lamb. And, and he did provide that, mm-hmm. you know, nearby many years later. And I, I, I spent a lot of my life with my eyes on a thicket instead of a cross, you know, mm-hmm. waiting for a ram instead of a lamb. And so for me, the most fundamental shift has just been it isn't about my circumstances or my situation. It's it's about the Lord and what he's doing. And, and that sounds really great on paper, but I feel like I can actually live it out now. What do you say to uh, moms out there? Maybe, a, maybe there's a teenage girl. Maybe there's a mom who's carrying a unknown a complication. Maybe mm-hmm. there's a uh, amniocentesis test that has come back with uh, some caution. What do you say to them? Well, first I would say I'm sorry and my heart breaks for what you're going through and the decisions that you're facing. You're not alone in it. And I'm not a courageous person. I, I'm not a brave person. I, I've struggled with fear for my entire life. And if someone would have said something like this, or if I had heard something like this on the radio years ago, I would have said I wouldn't be the girl that would make that choice. And so I guess I would just say, spend genuine time with the Lord, asking him to be present to you and to speak to you and, and to give you the courage that only he can. I think it would surprise the listeners to know <laughs> what kind of person I am in real life and how unlikely this this time was for me just because of, you know, it looks very courageous. And so I guess my words to anyone listening who's walking through that is, this isn't something you were ever meant to walk through alone. There are also uh, girls, moms, um, all kinds of ages who've terminated pregnancies, who've had one, two, three abortions, mm-hmm. um, who maybe have never opened that door emotionally or spiritually in their lives, what would you say to them? When I do speaking events, a lot of times I get to a point and I just say, if you would be open enough to stand, if you've ever lost a child, whether that was a miscarriage or stillbirth or abortion, whatever the situation, would you just stand? It's very seldom that less than 75% of the room. 75%. At least. Yeah. There have been times I've done women of faith events where there are 12,000 women and you see 10,000 stand up and then you just hear weeping because there's a sense of I'm not alone in this. I have women come up to me and say, I lost a child 40 years ago. I've never spoken about it until this day Mm -hmm. because generations ago, that was just not the way that it was done. And so even with abortion, the enemy would like nothing more than for you to stay seated in your shame and not realize that you can stand up and suffer that. You, You can grieve. I would love to look back over my life and say there were things I you know, I wouldn't do differently now. There certainly are. And um, 
I just see the way that the enemy has worked on that group mm. so much and just want them to stay clothed in the shame and feel alone. And so, yeah, I, I think the realization that they aren't is probably the most powerful thing they can do. We all live with regrets and it's impossible to quantify them. You know, uh, stealing something is not maybe as big as regret as something else. And yet that shame and that guilt and that anger and all those emotions yeah. still keep God at bay. Yes, it's so true. So Angie, tell us how to find you. There's many ways we can go to Bring the Rain. Yeah, Bring the Rain is the name of the blog. Okay. Uh, the website is angiesmithonline.com. Thanks so much for being with us today. And God bless you and Todd on your journey and your continued ministry. Thank you. Well, again, you've been listening to Angie Smith on Michael Easley in Context. You can find out more about her from her website at angiesmithonline.com. This is Michael Easley in Context.